You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Isn't the Lord good? Everybody relax. You ever feel a little tense and you don't know why? Well, relax. Take a breather. That'd be good. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're on a a series. This is our fourth installment. Our consideration over the last number of months has been what it is to follow Jesus or apprenticeship to Jesus or discipleship, although... Discipleship's gotten a little bit of a bad name, but um, it's how can each of us walk the Jesus way? And one of the things I want to do, first of all, is we talk about joy. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I have bad news and good news. The bad news is I have 19 pages of notes. The good news is I'm not going to cover but 18 of them. No, I'm not really. I'm, I'm teasing, but... Uh, Hey, if it's not worth it, just get up and leave. That'll be okay too. But um, anyway, I want to start this morning with a message. um, Start the message with a quote from Bill Johnson. Some of you may be familiar with Bill from Bethlehem, California. He's really a tremendous man. But he says this Peace, which of course is one of the fruit of the Spirit, peace is not the absence of noise or war, peace is a person. It's the abiding presence of the Spirit of God in my life. Peace, then, is a fruit of the Spirit, literally, the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Joy is, too, as are all the other fruit. And Nehemiah 8, uh, 8 verse 10 says a number of things, but one of the conclusions is, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's say that together. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, I think the most significant way to look at that is that if it's the joy of the Lord, it's the Lord's own joy. It's something we get from him, something he gives us, and we're going to find out that it has a lot to do with just his presence in our lives. I have another quote. Uh, the French philosopher and scientist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Je m'appelle Robert? No, excuse me. I did take a couple of years of French, but uh, this is going to be an <laughs> interesting morning. I have a feeling. Survey says the French philosopher and scientist Pierre once said, Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. I really like that. I really like that. Also, um, I have a Burger King cup over here. Could someone please bring that to me? I get a kickback from Burger King every time I put their cup up here on the pulpit. You know, I'm such a major influencer and... um, I think all 13 of my, thank you, viewers. So, 
Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. I really like that. Um, what does the Bible say about it? Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, the Christian church by and large does not connect God with fullness of joy. Not just joy, but fullness of joy. And they certainly don't get this idea that at his right hand are pleasures for how, for how long? Forevermore. Forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as I've thought through this, I thought, what if God's happy? He must be. If we are in his presence and we experience not just joy, but something described as fullness of joy, he must be happy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I'm going to look at this. Is God happy? I've heard people say God never said he wanted to make you happy. He wants to make you holy. Well, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Um, that's dumb. Come on. Matter of fact, what we're going to see is true holiness involves happiness. Or it's not real holiness at all. It's something else. And the word happy, happy, um, that's a good word. That's, that's, you know, the blesseds all through the New Testament. There are several words for blessed. One of them is like sanctified, but the one used many times means happy. Happy's good. Let's say that. Happy's good. Happy's good. Is God happy? Well, if he is, if you were convinced of that, would it change you? Would your outlook, your disposition, would it increase your joy level if you became thoroughly and absolutely convinced that God is happy? Now, part of my message here I've gotten from other places, and I'm not going to stop and cite all of them, but here's one of them. I read this. Few of us probably think about God as being very happy, but you may be shocked to learn that the Bible uses words referring to happiness over 2,700 times. 2,700 times. Now, when Paul talks about the gospel, 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul talks about the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. In Romans 1.25, Paul writes of the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.15, Paul referred to Jesus as the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in 1 Peter 1.3, Peter jumps into it. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, here's a better way to read those verses. 1 Timothy 
Is that on the overhead there? Dot, dot, dot. According to the glorious gospel of the happy God which was committed to my trust. Let's read that together. According to the glorious gospel of the happy God which was committed to my trust. If when you think of God and he's frowning, that's a delusion. That's a delusion. That's the devil trying to make you, trying to um, discredit God. And gospel really means the good, glad, happy news which makes men leap for joy. When's the last time you leapt for joy when you thought about the gospel? That's what it means, the good, glad, happy news. Somebody say good, glad, happy news. Good, glad, happy news. Good, glad, happy news, which makes men leap for joy. That was the happy God gospel Paul had. Or Romans one twenty five, the creator who was happy forever. Or 1 Timothy 6.15, the happy and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, in First Peter, happy is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to what? His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, one of the things that goes on, and I'm not going to be able to finish all this because I'm being inspired. In Romans 3... How many of you are familiar with this verse? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what the rest of that verse says? Comma, being justified freely by the grace and redemption of Christ Jesus. Now, here is the Greek language or the verb tenses, which are very insightful. Um, The Greek tense says this, for all have sinned and are presently continually falling short of the glory of God. Bad news, folks, everyone in this room, no matter what your state, no matter what your faith, no matter what your experience, you are in some way presently continually falling short of the glory of God. That's why when you try to justify yourself, you still can't get peace. Because you're presently continually falling short of the glory of God. But that's not the end of the story, comma. You are presently, continually, somebody say presently, continually. Passively, presently, continually, passively being justified. So while you're a complete failure, say... And guilty of who knows what, at the same time, you are being justified. And there's several words there. You're being justified freely. What does freely mean? You didn't do anything to deserve it. And it's a passive verb. Uh, it's a pa- passive verb tense. What does that mean? Well, Being justified freely is like getting a suntan. All you need to get a suntan is to remove certain garments and lay out passively in the sun. 
because being justified freely is something that Jesus is doing on your behalf. So when it comes to our peace level and our joy level, which one do you listen to? Presently continually falling short or presently continually passively being justified freely by the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus. The gospel, the good, glad, happy news that makes men jump for joy. You can't do a thing about your eternal soul except trust Jesus. And the reason you can just trust Jesus is he is already doing something to completely cover you no matter what accusation comes up. That wouldn't even be in my notes. A.W. Tozer, a preacher from the past, says... God is not only happy in his work of creating and redeeming, but he is also enthusiastic. Somebody's having a good time painting the sky, causing the birds to sing. Somebody's running the universe. The Bible exclaims, the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. That means to spin around under violent emotion joyfully. Hebrew. He will exult, exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Oh my goodness. That's a description of God's behavior. That's a description of his behavior. That's how he behaves. I was thinking, um, we don't understand what we're in the middle of. The earth goes around the sun once every 365 years. The earth spins once every 24 hours. Then we circulate through our galaxy, and then our galaxy is traveling from the universe at millions and millions and millions of miles an hour. Everything's moving. Everything's alive. Everything's vital. But if we're myopic and just look at ourselves, we don't see. Do you realize you're going like, 11 million miles an hour right now. And that doesn't count how fast the earth is spinning. And that doesn't count how fast we're flying through the... Milky Way. There you have it. There you have it. Shondo. (laughs) The Lord... The Lord your God is in your midst. Now that word means the very center of your being. Not just in your church service. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. We have to have that image of God. Not the uh, Catholic nun with a foot ruler cracking us on the knuckles every time we do something wrong. No, God bless the Catholics, but God's this way. Not only is God happy, but Jesus promised his followers could be happy too. And so then we go through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed, blessed, blessed. All those words are happy. And so in all these miserable states that you find in parts of the Beatitudes, Jesus says there's 
opportunity to be happy in every one of those miserable states. Let's think this. Let's conclude that the universe is governed by an eternally happy, joyful, cheerful sovereign. We have a happy king. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, I ask myself this question. Would you like to hear it? Okay, all right. You know, don't be so pushy. Was Jesus happy? Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God and he did so joyfully. Jesus himself was a notoriously joyful person. Hebrews. Well, how much joy did he have? That's another good question. Hebrews 1, 8, and 9. Jumping in the middle, actually, of a psalm I'll mention in a minute. But to the Son, God says, God says to the Son, God says to the Son, your throne, O God, that clears that up about if Jesus is God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. Righteousness means you're right. Do the right thing. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with what? The oil of gladness more than your companions. And so the Bible reveals that joy and righteousness are married. Righteous people shouldn't be grumpy. Come on, if you are righteous and holy and you're grumpy, you got a problem. Because Jesus loved righteousness, hated lawlessness, and it opened him up to an anointing, the oil of gladness. And that's the real essential oil. I mean, you can dab that other stuff on. I'm sure it does you good, but I'm going to tell you the most essential oil is joy. Joy will help you. So that was an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus from Psalm 45, verse 7, that the writer of the book of Hebrews presented to us. To the Son, he says, or to Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. Your God has anointed you. Say that, anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The one who sits on the throne is happy. How many of you have ever been anointed with oil? Wave at me if you've actually been anointed with oil. Well, you sort of have. But the way they anointed people with oil in the Old Testament was they poured a bottle on their head. They didn't have a little dimmy bottle in. No, it was... A lot of oil. That's what it is. That's what anointing is. Um, Jesus was the most joyful person. He is God and his father was the originator, the source of and the distributor of that kind of joy. Now, Jesus being anointed with the oil of gladness or the oil of joy. The idea of being anointed describes the primary characteristics of one's calling and contains the idea of excess or abundance. 
In the Old Testament, when one is anointed with oil, he or she was not dabbed on the forehead, but oil in abundance was poured over their head. It saturated them, their head, their face, their clothing, perhaps even down to their feet and their sandals even. And Psalm 133, 1 through 3 gives us an accurate description of this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How many are familiar with this psalm? Oh, what is that like? It's like the precious oil or ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard. It's talking about the anointing of Aaron as a priest. And flowed down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord had commanded the blessing forevermore. So Jesus had this, what's called an anointing of gladness. And so I would conclude that that gladness or that joyfulness was a predominant feature of Jesus' temperament and personality. It was a central part of his persona of his bearing, of his countenance. Why was it people loved him so much? Why was it that um, people of all persuasions, except particularly self-righteous people, really seemed to fall in love with him on the spot? It's because of what he carried. He was son of the glorious and joyful God, like father, like son. And I am so confident personally that Jesus' joy was very much of what drew people to himself. Now, we know in Isaiah 53, Jesus was acquainted with grief. Say acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. And to balance all this out in a minute, I'm going to talk about the joy-pain conundrum, term I made up, that sounds like it should be in some kind of a periodical or something. But... um. Jesus was acquainted with grief, but he was anointed with joy. One thing he knew, grief, but another thing he was flooded with and anointed with and demonstrated, that's joy. Jesus was slandered as a drunkard because he wasn't an austere prophet like John the Baptist who didn't eat bread or drink wine, lived on locust and wild honey. That's a weird new diet craze going on back in uh, 2000, back in the, anyway, but was criticized, Jesus was criticized for enjoying celebration, social enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a combination word that means God within. That's what it is to be enthusiastic, is to have God inside. He turned water into wine. He was fraternizing with tax collectors and sinners. God has called us to a fraternity of unity and joy. We're called to be a fraternal order of happiness. How many of you want to join that one? Yes. Fraternal order of happy people. It's obvious to me after five decades of studying personal experience and spiritual things that Jesus was never intoxicated with wine, although easy to see that he drank it, he created it. I know people have trouble with that, but that's just the Bible. Everybody has trouble with something in the Bible. But, um, 
W.C. Fields was on his deathbed. He was a very wicked comedian back in the 19, early 1900s. And he was reading his Bible on his deathbed. And somebody said, W.C., what are you reading the Bible for? He said, looking for loopholes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I believe because of exuberant joyfulness, he was slandered and identified as a drunkard. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, the oil of gladness. I like that, the essential oil. Now, the elephant in the room. And what I mean by that is what about heartache and brokenness? Whenever you talk about the joy of the Lord, the elephant in the room, or maybe the thing we don't want to address is, but it's there, heartache and brokenness. And I have a quote from a guy that wrote a book, a preacher that wrote a book. His name is Randy Alcorn, and he wrote a book on happiness. And he says this, no treatment of joy and happiness should deny or minimize, minimize rather, text or the truth and experience of lamentation, a truly biblical doctrine of joy and happiness fully recognizes and embraces the realities of suffering in this present age. Yeah, denial, how many of you know denial does not work? Acting like you don't have something you have doesn't really work. So we don't have to deny, uh, deny what we've been through or pretend. But the idea is that even in the midst of severe difficulty, the power of God can release to us this antidote of joy. You remember Bill Johnson's quote that peace isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. And because pain and brokenness are part of life, Jesus came to give us joy. I mean, that's one of the primary reasons. He endured the horrors of the cross for the joy set before him. Now, some people say the joy set before him was us. Okay, that's good. I get that. But guess what I think the joy set before him was? Joy. That doesn't... That's, is that hard to believe that it just means what it says? No, he wanted to lay hold through uh, the power and strength of what he did in the gospel, a capacity to touch the world and cause believers to experience something powerful that contradicts their sorrow and their heartache. It's an essential aspect of the gospel. Oh, don't listen to that. God never said he wanted to make you happy. That's ridiculous. That is heretical. That is dumb. I brought my kids up. I'd say, listen, John Mark, one thing bothers me about you and Christopher Andy, you're way too happy this week. You must not understand what's going on. You don't treat your kids that way unless there's something wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with God. <laughs> so I call this the joy-pain conundrum. That's great. Somebody should just put that on your phone and send it somewhere. The joy-pain conundrum. Conundrum means confusing or difficult problem or a question.
But life contains the presence of joy and pain together. Matter of fact, you see this all through the scripture. Both of these things are going on simultaneously, sort of like falling short and being justified. Go on simultaneously. It just depends on your focus to some degree. Maybe in other cases, how much you've been healed so you can enjoy the reality of the, of the good news. But the 23rd Psalm, it says that he has prepared a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. And yet what happens? My cup runs over. What does my cup run over mean? Six different translations of the Old Testament uh, um, cite it this way. You intoxicate me with the finest wine. And so here's what we see. There are enemies. But there's a table. There are enemies, but in the midst of whatever those enemies are, growling, snapping, snarling, threatening, God says, let's eat. <laughs> let's drink. Where? Right in the midst of all the heartache and the sorrow and uh, the classified documents and See, if I mention any of it, I'm just going to go down a terrible rat in a rabbit hole. But, but there is oil of anointing and overflowing cup of heaven's finest. So it says, yes. Now, here's another part of, of the 23rd Psalm with this pain, joy. Though I walk through what? The deep sunless valley of the shadow of death. I need a beverage. I will fear. I will dread no evil. Why? Because I'm better than you know. God's with me. <clears throat> I never put down people who are heartbroken. There are reasons to be heartbroken. There are reasons. Uh, pain is real. But there's also real antidotes. Real Holy Ghost healing. Real presence from heaven. <clears throat> yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod to protect, your staff to guide, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My brimming cup runs over, or you intoxicate me with the finest wine. That's one of the translations. That, that was in the only Bible Jesus had, the Old Testament. That was the only Bible Paul had, the Old Testament and the Psalms. Augustine, one of the church fathers, <clears throat> translated that psalm this way. And your inebriating cup, how excellent is it? Now, here's another thing I don't think we get. You know, the Old Testament says very little about the devil. Have you realized that? You find it in the book of Job. You find it in um, Ezekiel when it talks about Satan falling, and but it's type and shadow. You see him in the garden, but you don't hear much about him. And so what happens is a lot of people's pain and heartache, the devil's caused in a fallen world. But like the insurance companies, we 
call them acts of God. No, they're not acts of God. Some of them are acts of the devil. Some of them are what happens when you live in a fallen world with fallen people who have set in operation fallen cultures. So let's don't blame everything on the Lord. Psalm 30, for his anger is but for a moment, his favors for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, which means a shout of joy, comes in the morning. Later on in that very psalm, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth, my mourning, and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory or my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I can quote that verbatim because we used to sing that. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing for me. You have put off my sackcloth. And on it goes. We would sing that. We would sing that over and over. It's awesome. Oh, some more. Sorry. Um, Isaiah 61.3, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, this, this is also recorded in Luke 4 as the first message Jesus preached. Here's how he preached it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal who? Brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to who? The captives. The opening of the prison to who? Those who were bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, here's a part he didn't preach. And the day of vengeance of our God. He left that out. But then he added, to comfort all who mourn, to console or appoint those who mourn in Zion. And then we have this idea of the gospel, the divine exchange, where Jesus became one thing that we might become another. But it's described here this way, to give those mourners in Zion, and Zion is a picture of the church, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might become and be called and be known as trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So this picture of the goodness benefits of the gospel Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus came, and then Jesus preached it. He actually said, this prophecy has been um, fulfilled in your ears, and people got mad at him and tried to kill him for some strange reason. But he preached that. Isaiah prophesied it. That word, that promise has resounded down through the ages for 2,700 plus years. The gospel is the antidote for the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, bound, restricted. And the wonderful thing is those, off, those verses offered no rebuke, no rebuke to those in distress. But they're filled with understanding of the human condition with mercy, liberty, and blessing. When you find ashes, guess what? Something's burnt up. Someone's gone through the fires. 
But Jesus offers you beauty. Want to trade? Want to trade? Want to trade? Bring me your ashes. I had a peculiar experience this morning. I was talking to the Lord, and he was talking back, which is a little scary. And he was talking to me about his crown. Now I know this is weird, but I'm sorry. He was telling me that when the world, when the earth praises him, his crown radiates. See, one of the things we don't regard is the things that we do, and we don't even understand, resonate in heaven. It resonates in heaven. It makes a difference. God cares. And so he offers us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise. If you have one, God will give you the other. God wants to make a divine exchange with us, one for the other. Now, here's the reality of it. Do you know when all that happened, that exchange? You know when it happened? It happened at the cross. What I'm talking about this morning is the gospel. Dan, um, Dan Keesler and I were talking um, uh, several weeks ago about how few people, me included, have fully entered into the reality of the gospel, the power, the transformation, the infusion of that God life, the beauty for ashes, oil of joy, joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. All of these are aspects of the gospel, and they have been released to us in the world ever since the outpouring of the spirit in Acts chapter 2. It happened at the cross. God made him who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh my. That is so wonderful. That is so wonderful. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. When the Lord turned again, what does that tell you? He's always turning people's captivity. When he turned it again, we were like them that dream. You know, they're good dreams and bad dreams. I think we have some unfulfilled good dreams that the presence and power of God wants to release us into experiencing and encountering promises, promises that are real in heaven that haven't been fulfilled in our lives yet, that God has made, uh, God has intended for us, promises we don't even know about, benefits, blessings, books to write, songs to sing, uh, uh, things to paint, um, people's lives to change, influence to be had among people that need godly influence. Instead of this ridiculous crap that's out there now, these crazy influencers, they don't, they don't even know who they are. They're just an influencer. They just want you to think whatever they think and whatever they think, like 95% of it is just ridiculous. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you. 
God's powerful. God's potent. God has made provision for you through the cross. Every single thing you need through the outpouring of the Spirit, through the presence of God, we have yet to tap into but a small portion of everything God has prepared for us. Psalm 126 has said, Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Our what? Is our singular or plural? Plural. Well, mouth there is singular. Corporate mouth. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Corporate expression of the presence and the power. There it is. Oh, where's the laughter in the Bible? Psalm 126. Yeah, but all kind of people laughing together. Yes, Psalm 126, our mouth. When you saw, not, not when Billy Bob laid hands on you, when you saw what Jesus did for you. When a whole congregation sees what Jesus has done for us. When we see our captivity has been turned. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Where are we're glad? I really like that. Now, oh, oh, um, practically, how, how, would you, how, how would you like to be for me to be practical? Here's some practical things. To increase your joy. First of all, God is community. People don't understand God being in three parts. It's because he's community. He, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, number two, God creates. I don't think we'd argue with that. Number three, God gives. One note I've got, um, I read, I copy this, but uh, we hear money's the root of all evil. Well, the, it's the love of money. Money's good based on how you use it, especially if you give it away. That'd make you happy. God gives. Number four, God is thankful. I could prove it. I'm not going to. And God beautifies. So those five things, God is community. God creates. God gives, God is thankful, God beautifies. And by beautify, the idea is you take a friend who's in a mess and you add to their lives to beautify who they are. So, five practices to increase your joy. Be intentional about your relationships. God's community. Discover a way to be creative. I just took up painting. I'm, I'm 71 years old and 72 last week. I started painting. It's stupid. But no, it's creative. People gave me paint for Christmas. I've only thrown one of them away, one painting, because it was awful. But nevertheless, be intentional about your relationships. Discover a way to be creative. Be generous. Be thankful. Find ways to help people. Whose life can you beautify? Okay, that was practical. Now spiritual. I want us to pray. Uh, if, if this makes you uncomfortable, ignore that feeling and do this anyway. Okay? Yeah. See, I, just, I got you right by that. I want us to pray for each other 
four things. So let's stand up, find somebody you can pray with and for, and make some kind of, with permission, physical touch. And I'm going to tell you the four things we're going to pray, and then we're going to pray them. We're going to pray that the Lord will heal the brokenhearted. We're going to pray that we experience the presence of God at a higher level. We're going to pray that the Lord will pour out his spirit upon us. And we're going to pray that we experience the goodness and fullness of his house. Okay? Okay. Let's do this first one. Let me ask you this. Maybe you don't want to identify yourself, but sometimes it helps if you do. How many of you feel like you're brokenhearted in some way and you want to be, you want to be prayed? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's no shame. I'm brokenhearted. I got some issues. Okay? If I can say it, you can say it. So, okay, stick your hand up again. Okay. People, well, if all three of you back there are brokenhearted, David and Quan, and uh, uh, somebody's going to have to exercise some high-level faith. All right, here we go. Okay, Father, here we are. We're praying together. We, we are all, in some way, shape, or form, brokenhearted. <laughs> okay. Father, we ask that you would heal the brokenhearted. We ask that your power would flow. Touch the hearts, Lord, by your spirit. We ask for divine impartation of the power of your spirit to touch the brokenhearted this morning, Lord. I receive. Let's say that together. I receive, Lord. I, I cooperate with you this morning. I receive your healing touch this morning. Okay, I'm going to break some things. I break the power of evil, critical, spoken words that have been released against these people. I break the power. I think about what goes on in junior high and high school, the hostility, the meanness, the cruelty. I break the power of all of that um, hazing and terrorizing and threatening and, and, and teenage intimidation. Lord, we pray too for fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, things spoken in anger, things spoken out of brokenhearted parents. We break the power of those words and we release, oh, we release your anointing to heal um, the brokenhearted. Oh, oh yes, 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 yes. We agree, Lord. Nothing, 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 nothing too hard for you. Nothing, nothing, nothing too hard. Shut that up. No, nothing too hard. Nothing. We don't listen to you anymore. Nothing's too hard for you, Lord. Nothing. 
Nothing, not a thing. We release presence and power and blessing. Father, we pray this. This is the next prayer. How many of you want to experience the presence of God at a higher level? Oh, let's pray that. First of all, listen. There's no pressure this morning to receive anything. You know what I'm saying? I used to go to high schools and I would preach to high school kids and they would not want me preaching to them. And so I would say to them, listen, um, don't listen to anything I'm saying this morning. There's no pressure. Really. Take notes, sleep, nap. I don't care. That's good. I'm good. No pressure. You see, because when they make wine, I have a friend who's got a family's got an ancient um, vineyard in Italy. And to get the pure wine, they have to separate the, the, um, the vintage, the liquid, from the stems and the leaves. And they call the stems and the leaves the must. So to receive God's bl- blessing, you've got to get rid of must. What must I do? Nothing. <laughs> what must I not do? Nothing. So, Father, we pray in freedom and liberty that we might experience your presence at a higher level. That we would know you, which to know is life eternal. This is life eternal, Jesus said, to know God and him whom he hath sent. Life eternal, everything we need is deposited in one person, Christ Jesus, dwelling in us by faith. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, not just today, but we would become truly spirit-filled people. Lord, that we would have that Psalm 133 anointing. The goodness and the blessing of being in harmony. And Father, we pray to experience the goodness and fullness of your house. One of the Psalms, I think it's 136, says, I am abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. Abundantly satisfied means we have been radically, inalterably intoxicated and inundated by the goodness of who you are. Lord, I ask that to be our portion. Capture us again, Lord. Captivate. Uh, okay, I'm. yes. There are people here And you've had terrible experiences in churches. You've had terrible, you have been hurt and affected by things that happened to you in church. I want to pray for you right now. First of all, forgive me. I'll just say that. Forgive me. Forgive me as a pastor. In place of whoever or whatever hurt you in church. Father, release healing to people who have been wounded in church circles, Christian circles. Lord, we ask for a special anointing to come. Lord, I just, I just see you pouring that oil in hearts.
I just, I just see the Liberty Bell and the, and the oil of God is being poured on the crack in the Liberty Bell and the cracks being sealed. I pray and I declare that the Lord is sealing you, sealing your heart. Paul talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for that oil, that healing virtue, that presence, that power, that goodness, that mercy, that understanding, that um, heart, that voice of heaven, that voice of the Father that is comforting and kind and generous and understanding and peaceful. Let that come to us today. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Anybody get anything? Anybody get any help? Come on. Come on. Let's, let's, let's thank the Lord a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we have prayer teams today. For any of you who didn't just recently participate with us. <laughs> I'm teasing, that's a joke. Yes, um, they are authorized to pray for you. They are authorized and trained to hear from the Lord and give you encouragement. They're not going to identify anything that would hurt your feelings. They're only going to bless you. So if anybody needs prayer, we do have folks here that would love, just love to pray, help you make your life better than it is right now. That was an old prophecy. It went this way. I saw you in the future, and you look much better than you do right now. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Have a great week. Come get prayed for. It's awesome. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.